0: Good morning. morning. Do you know, many years ago, I'm not sure how many, I used to really enjoy coming up here and being with you for the Fellowship Weekend. And Mel and I have never forgotten that time because it was really a pivotal point for us. Because I think on the first occasion that we came, We came while we were still part of a different fellowship to you. And our horizons were being expanded by what we were doing and what you were doing, which we enjoyed. And one of the things that we really, or I've really benefited from, was the fact that laughter could be part of what we did together. And you've expressed that already today on lots of occasions. We come from somewhere where everything was really serious and laughter didn't have a place. So I thank you for that, and I thank you that you have also taken me on a bigger journey over the other years that we spent with you. You, in in my eyes, you have a special place because, for me, you are the epitome of a church which has different problems to the usual Christadelphian church. You have so many first-generation Christians in your community, whereas lots of churches are much more comfortable with third, fourth, fifth-generation Christadelphians. So the problems that you've faced and that we've understood have been much more like the first century than many of our churches have had to experience. And I've grown to love the way you react to these things and try and deal with them with guidance from the Lord Jesus and from the Bible. So I love you with all of my heart, but I share you with somebody else, with another community in another country, where I'm going to talk to you about tonight because the people in Latvia who meet in Riga our brothers and sisters there are very much like you many of them in fact I could almost say all of them are first century Christians first generation and their struggles and their fights are peculiar to them and their situation and I think it's really important that we understand how different each of us are because then we can truly understand what people need and we can address those issues and come to them. And I think what Tim's already done today very much focuses on what I would like to think about. Because the first verse in the second New Testament reading for today is this. Now regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem. But that is not actually purely about money. Because the whole basis of what Paul says there is about a much bigger issue. One which you address head on and which we address in Riga head on. It's about how do we care for people in need. And it's our response that Tim's rightly already focused us on as well. And in the very next chapter, which happens to be the first chapter in the second of Corinthians, Paul says this in verses 3 to 7. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we are able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort that God gives us. So I would like to use that quote as a direct application today for how the people in riga would talk to you through me and i want to use the rest of my time here telling you about our brothers and sisters in riga because many of those in riga are brothers and sisters but i need to set a scene so that you can understand what the problems are so Excuse me if we go off into rather unpleasant areas. When the Soviet Union took over Latvia during the last World War, they obviously used it as a satellite country like they did many other countries in Eastern Europe. And what they did during the whole period from about 1943 through to... 1993, I think it was, is that wherever there was something worth doing, they put Russians in charge. They brought Russians in to the country and put them in charge of what was going on. Universities, factories, farming, whatever it was. But of course, as we all know, the Soviet Union fell apart And at that point, Latvia seized its independence very willingly because over the years, they had only had about 50 years of independence since about 1200 AD. So they really valued it. The problem was, there's all these Russians living in Latvia. The ones who had passports, Russian passports, and were still first-generation Russians were allowed to go back home. But any Russians born after 1943 in Latvia were considered by Russia to be Latvians, even though they had Russian parents and they only spoke Russian language. And everything that they bought really came from Russia. The Latvians didn't like it and they didn't want them there. So they refused to give them Latvian citizenship. So these people now can't go back to Russia. They can't leave Latvia because they have no passports and they're now stateless. People who have been university lecturers and people who had good jobs. They were brought in some of them, many of them, come through the armed forces because obviously Russia had a lot of armed forces, air force and army in, Russia, in Latvia and they were left in limbo. These people now had no pensions if they'd retired. If they were working they now had no jobs because they had no right to jobs. They had no right to Latvian pensions either. So they were now homeless, living on the street. Now, I suspect, how many people have been to Latvia? Perhaps you know how cold the winter is. (laughs) Mel and I have been there when it's been minus 17. And that is not unusual. There's always lots of snow on the ground. Can you imagine what it's like living on the street with nowhere to rest your head in a warm and dry place in temperatures like that? It's very easy to die. These are our brothers and sisters. They came to church, and tonight I'll talk more about that, but I just want to give you a feel for the people. These are the ones who have come to the Bible School in Riga, for food and warmth and to be taught God's truth and they have chosen to be baptised. Over the period of time that we've been looking after them which is quite a long time now the average number of people being baptised is one a week which is absolutely brilliant because that makes sense of what is going on in Riga so now there are well over 100 people who are baptised and still alive because obviously in those conditions people don't live particularly long Soviet Union a few years ago uh, fell apart and Latvia joined the EU in about 2003 I think it was They were forced by the EU to create hostels for people to live in because they couldn't cope with the fact that people were just living on the street with nothing else. But these hostels, I would say, reminded me of a Dickens workhouse. People slept on concrete staircases with no mattresses, and just one blanket to stay warm in a building which isn't heated. And that's a good place to be because the wind isn't going through because there's glass in the windows. But if you have a communicable disease, you're not allowed in a hostel because you might give it to somebody else. So people with tuberculosis, and there is a lot in Latvia among this particular group of people, People who have got AIDS or HIV are not allowed in a shelter. You sleep rough under a bridge in an old derelict building with no windows if you can find somewhere to be. Because the good places in those dreadful places are taken by somebody who is perhaps a bit more forceful, someone who might be homeless but it has a bit more strength than other people. And they, they say, I want this, you can clear off. So we have this situation where even a little bit of shelter is taken from you by somebody else. So these are our brothers and sisters. That's the background. Now, Slavic and Yudita are two of the people that I got to know well. And they were, or he had, HIV. Not because he had done anything wrong, but because he had been given a blood transfusion, which was already infected. So he became infected. He was medicating, and it was working reasonably well. But obviously he was, his health was going up and down. And Eugeter was living with him in a place in an old derelict factory with no glass in the windows and they found a space under a staircase that provided a little bit of shelter with their odd belongings of a sleeping bag or two and a few blankets and a few candles. And they would come to the Bible Centre, every day for Sunday through to Thursday. And a brother who they knew well, Nikolai, had been sitting, also homeless, had been sitting in a, uh, a tunnel underneath a main road in the centre of Riga because it's warmer there, down below the ground, and it's not quite so open But other people passing by because it was a main thoroughfare from one side of this wide road to the other don't like it very much. I mean I don't know whether you see how homeless people are treated in Manchester but London they're not treated very well. And he'd been kicked by somebody who objected to him being there and it really damaged his knee to the point that he thought he'd broken his leg because he just couldn't stand on it at all. Slava and Yudita heard about him and went to the hospital and when he was released from hospital they said, you come and stay with us and have our bed while we just sit around and look after you. There wasn't space for all three of them to lie down. They gave what, all of what they had for this brother in his need Their Christianity really meant that they had to do something for him. And this is people that we think are the dregs of society. The homeless, the disadvantaged, the people that we don't always take much notice of. And yet, because they had been baptised and they knew of Jesus Christ, they knew that their help for their brother was really important and they gave up their bed space for him till he was recovered. And I think that's a lesson that we should learn because how much are we prepared to give up for someone in need? Do we provide them with a meal or do we almost, as they did, give away everything to help them? Because they did. Because the gospel to them meant absolutely everything. As an aside, when I've been to Jamaica, the people there when I'm coming home say to me, we're going to pray for you because although we have very little and you come here to help us, we feel that you are in great danger in going back to the UK. Because you're one of those countries where you have virtually everything you want. And it can take you away from the truth. And I think they're right. We are in danger. But Slavik and Yudta told me what was important. Their love for their brother. We feed people. What we do is we give them an hour a day to come in, have coffee and tea, just in the afternoon, and they sit there and warm up. And when they first started coming, because of the way things had been in the Soviet Union, where everything you did which was out of the ordinary was questioned and used to say, are you being a good citizen or not? Why would you be laughing and joking in the street? Because life is hard. You must be making fun of the authorities. So we're going to take you in and question you about it. So everybody gets used to just seeing themselves and keeping themselves to themselves. So when this first started, the feeding programme, people would come in off the street to be warm and they would just sit there just concentrating on themselves and not paying any attention to anybody else. But after seven or eight years, when we go there now, the buzz is, is just like a Christy of the Fraternal here. There is chatter and laughter because they've got used to the fact that the person sitting next to them can be trusted. They are not going to be reported to the police that they can relax and enjoy conversation about things they could never talk about before. I mean, Christianity itself was a no-no subject. The Soviet Union banned it. You weren't allowed to be a Christian in a Soviet Union country. Churches were shut. So here they are, having warmth, coffee and tea and enjoying the company of each other. Perhaps one or two of them might play chess, whatever it is that they're interested in doing. Then they have an hour's Bible talk. And after the Bible talk, they're fed with a hot meal. Now, we don't know how many people are going to turn up each day. But what we do is we cook enough food for 80 but on occasion, there might be 120 there. And can, you can imagine that when we've cooked the food, the fact that 120 people turn up, you begin to think, are oh, we going to feed everybody? Because the last thing you want to do is to leave someone with no food. But you start in faith. You dish out the food that you've prepared in faith that it will go round. And I can tell you on two or three occasions, only after I've finished serving the food out have I realised that actually it was rather like Elijah and Elisha providing endless quantity till the time had come for it to be not not needed anymore. The ladle had gone into those saucepans so many times it couldn't possibly have been what we put in there. There was more and everybody had had enough. Because God is working a miracle. And it is such an encouragement to me to know that God is blessing these people in their needs by what we've done as a servant. Forgiveness. How good here are we at forgiveness? How good am I at forgiveness? A story about forgiveness which I shall never forget. There was a brother there whose propensity is to be very boisterous. When he comes in, he will sort of punch somebody friendly on the shoulder and say, how are you? And he always pushes people around. It's just his nature, he's very boisterous and he's quite a big, chunky guy. But, like many, he has a propensity to drink alcohol too much. Because, let me put this into context, when you're really cold, somehow you've got to numb your brain from thinking, I'm really cold because it's so debilitating that the And alcohol among um, the homeless is quite prevalent because a lot of them brew their own stuff, as you might imagine, and they pass it round. No alcohol or no drunk person is allowed in the church. They will not have it because so many of them have a problem with drink. So they actually will police it themselves and insist that somebody leaves. But on this one occasion, this brother got in and he'd had a bit too much drink. So his boisterous nature overflowed into something a bit more aggressive. And it escalated. And it ended up with him throwing a three-legged stool at somebody which caught him and just caught his eye and hit the floor. Now, that guy another brother's eye was cut eventually we got this under control and got the chap, our brother out and he went home to sort himself out and that night I thought and I prayed about what would happen the next time he came because I didn't know at this point how they would react to him having been so violent He turned up the next day and I stayed close to him in case things went wrong. But do you know the first thing that he did when he came into that church was to go up to the very people who he'd abused the previous day and say sorry to them, to apologise, to say that he should never have done that. Even the guy whose head had been cut said, forget it. I know what it's like to be in that situation. Thank you for saying sorry. And it went away. It disappeared. They were showing forgiveness to each other And ultimate love. Because it doesn't matter the fact that I've got this cut on my head here. You have a problem that I understand. And I'm compassionate for you in your problem. And I will do my best to help you not be like that. How good are we at forgiving each other when we're injured? Either inside or physically outside they taught me a really valuable lesson there because I thought to myself, I'm not sure how well my own Ecclesia would have handled that situation had it happened where I worship most of the year. And yet they coped with it extraordinarily well. One last story. And this is the one which, to me, sums everything up. André. André came while we were there for our three months for the first time. And he stayed and he ate food and he went away. And eventually he said, I need to talk to you about some things. And he came early and we sat down and talked. And he got baptised And as things happen, when people are baptised, they invite their friends to come because they don't all know each other, because they don't always all come every day. So you get a different group of people coming with some stalwarts who come regularly. So when a baptism happens, they have their friends in and we use an individual bath and baptise them. But before they're baptised, various people are invited to say something to the person being baptised. And on this occasion, Andre volunteered to say something. And this is what blew me away. He said, before I came here, I realised my life was a complete mess. I'd had a good job, I'd had a wife and a family and I messed it up and lost everything and when I was really down at the bottom I decided to go to the local Russian Orthodox Church and say to the priest I need some help and the priest turned around and looked at him and said we don't want your sort here go away He said, I left that church never to go again because there was no feeling of love at all in that church. But I continued to come for feeding. And slowly, I came to realise that there were people coming from Canada and New Zealand and other places in Europe, to feed me. And he said, I just need to think about this. Because he said, I had sat there and listened to the messages that you've given in the Bible class, and they sounded so good, that I really wanted to be part of it. The gospel message sounded brilliant. But he said, in my life, when I had a job and a family, people had already promised me lots of things. If you just buy this, it'll change your life and it'll be all wonderful. If you just do this, everything will be different and your your horizons will open up. And he said, I came to realise that it was empty. There was nothing there. And I could not put away the idea that this brilliant gospel message was something along the same lines. It was all words, but nothing behind it. But I continued to come for food and warmth. And eventually I realised that these people who were coming here to feed me, to look after me, to give me the love that I had not found in the Russian Orthodox Church, actually truly believed what they were doing, was part of their Christianity. So therefore, he said, I was challenged to actually accept that what the gospel is all about is true. That there were people living out that truth by the way they were looking after me. And that's why I was baptised. And that's why you should be baptised, because it is the best thing you could ever do. And for me, that really sums up what caring for people... For the appeal that Paul made to the Corinthians to collect money for a church in desperate need of just living life because there was famine or whatever it was. That is what Christianity is all about. That is what Jesus was all about because he lived his life helping the people in need. The down and outs, the dispossessed, the ill and the suffering and the lonely And he fed them and cared for them, both with physical food and with spiritual food. And the food that we eat today on this table, this meal that we share together, is a reminder of the love that Jesus shows to us. And a reminder of the love that we need to show to each other. Even though we might never meet each other, we can still help each other to walk to the kingdom. Even if people have nothing, just support them in the belief that they have that God's truth is for them as well as everybody else.